Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. I want you to turn to Psalm 18. We want to look at the first three verses of Psalm 18 today, and uh, just a, a passage that has special meaning uh, uh, to me. Um, you know, when, uh, when we began to have kids, um, I got to choose Kyle's name. I won a game of backgammon. That's a whole long story, but anyway, it, it, I got to choose that. I'll tell that another time. That's too long to tell today, but I, I won, and so I got to choose Kyle's name, but because I got to choose his name, you know, Trish got to choose his life verse, and, and she chose for him Zephaniah 3.17, a great verse about God's delight over his children, and you know, we wanted, we wanted him to know that, that God delights over his people and over his children. And so then when child number two came along, since I got to name child number one, uh, Trish got to name child, child number two, and so she picked Kenzie's name, but then I got to choose uh, her life verse. And I had chosen Psalm 18 too, uh, because it's all about trusting God, it's all about giving yourselves over to God, it's when life is rough, that God is your protection, and that's the one that you want, you know, you, you want to run to, and I wanted that for her, I wanted that to be uh, true for her. I, cho- I chose it because, well, frankly, I chose it because I didn't want her to be like me because I'm a natural worry wart and, you know, sometimes get filled with anxiety. So it's like I wanted Psalm 18 too for me I want as well, but, you know, I wanted her to li- live that out a- as well. Um, I wanted her to trust Psalm 18 and, and uh, just the call of that on our lives uh, just because our God I- I- is great. And so this year, because graduations have become very personal to me, you know, I got, I, I, I did some deep thinking, you know, you have those times of pondering, and I was pondering on graduations, I was pondering on Psalm 18, and I began to think, you know, if I were to give any sort of charge or any sort of advice uh, to graduates, be they in high school or college, honestly, Psalm 18 would be it. I would point them to Psalm 18. But it's not just for them. You know, years ago, there was this commercial that said, orange juice, it's not just for breakfast anymore. Well, Psalm 18, it's not just for graduates anymore. Psalm 18 is for everyone. I think Psalm 18 is a good way of setting the tone for everyone's life. And so whether you're 18 or 180 years old, I mean, I think that Psalm 18 is something that you can take to heart for your journey on this earth. Now, the introduction to this psalm gives us kind of the context of what led David to write this particular piece. It says that he wrote it after the Lord had rescued him from his enemies, from the powers of the enemies, and especially from King Saul. And because, you know, David was chased by a lot of people after he had been anointed as king, the Philistines and King Saul being kind of the main antagonists there, his biggest adversaries. But the the picture that is given here is, you know what, after David had been delivered from his enemies, he had a time of peace, he had a time of rest. And so he was sitting back and he was pondering and he was reflecting on his life. And he was reflecting on the ways that God had blessed him and delivered him and protected him and been with him throughout all these different situations in his life. And and because his life literally was on the line in in so many different ways, and God saw him through that. 
And so now he's sitting back and thinking about that. You know what? I've, I've been, I have a time of peace in my life, but you know what? God has been faithful to me in the past. And because God has been faithful to me in the past, I mean, I am assured that God is going to be faithful to me in the present and the future as well. And whatever trials come my way, and there will always be trials, God demonstrated to me faithfulness. He's a God I can trust. And I'm going to do that. And so we're going to look at the first three verses today, do it a little bit different. We're going to look at each verse uh, kind of one by one, and we're, we're going to learn about this faithful God. And hopefully it's a call for us to follow him and honestly to, tr to trust him because he is a trustworthy God. And so if I were to summarize what I'm trying to convey here today, it's that, I mean, just knowing God's an errant word, and if we look at his past faithfulness in our life, it makes it clear that he is worthy of our trust and faith in the present and the future as well. And I pray that you will do that. I pray that you will think back about how God has been so faithful to you in the past. And let that be kind of the solid ground that you stand on for the present and the future. And, and so we're, we're going, going to show this by way of answering some questions here. How can I align my life so that I do follow this faithful God? I trust him and follow him. How can I demonstrate that trust and how can I encourage that trust and faith in my life? How can I spur myself on to that? And there's three ways to go with three the, the first three verses. And first today, I want to encourage you to satisfy yourself in God. Satisfy yourself in God. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 18. David said, I love you, Lord, my source of strength. And so David begins by declaring his love for the Lord, and, you know, he pulls in this characteristic about what it is, you know, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why he so loves the Lord. He is a source of strength. Now, the word that David used there for love, it's not like the normal Hebrew word for love. Normally, that word is used of God loving others and demonstrating that through his mercies. But then by David using that word, he's declaring this for himself, you know, that, that I love God in, in responding to the mercies and the compassions that God has shown me. Again, he's reflecting on his past. He's reflecting on every goodness that God had demonstrated to him. Because David's life was filled with turmoil, and the turmoil wouldn't end. And no matter the particular circumstance that, God had, uh, that David had found himself in, I mean, beforehand, you know, God had shown himself to be faithful. He was there for David. And so David also knew that means down the road, God will show me other mercies as well in the present, in the future. Now, in no way is David saying that he wouldn't run into any sort of trouble in the future. That's not, that's not life in a fallen world. He would run into many other problems. But David knew upon this reflection that, you know what, I will run into other problems, but my God is good. My God is faithful. And I'm going to trust God 
with whatever comes my way. And, and, and it's a call for us to do the same. I, I love God. God has shown me mercies and compassions. You know, sometimes we think that, you know, when life gets so rough, we, we forget that. We, 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 we concentrate on the present problem and we completely forget all the wonderful things God has done for us in the past. But the wonderful things that God has done for the past ought to spur us on to trust him in the here and now and into the future. Whatever trouble comes our way, even if it's our time to depart from this earth. Because we'll all face that as well. Somehow, I mean, do we think that we're going to escape death? We will in a theological sense, but not in the sense that we won't necessarily face it. But our Christ, uh, our Christ has conquered death. But we will face it one day. And even then, God is faithful, trustworthy. You know, this past week, author and pastor and scholar Tim Keller, he passed away after a, a long battle, battle with pancreatic cancer. And I didn't always agree with Tim about various things. But, you know, I did, I mean, I, he was a brother in Christ. And, and so when his time was drawing near, and he was going to be sent home from the hospital on, on hospice care. His family says, this is what he said, I'm thankful for the time that God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. And then when it was time to go, his family records that his last words were this, there is no downside in me leaving, not in the slightest. Those are, I mean... We don't normally think along those lines. And, and how could Tim say something like that? Here, here's a man who spent his life serving God, and then God allows him to have cancer, and then God allows him to die. And yet, these are the things that Tim said. How? How did he get to that point? Because Tim knew that God had shown him great mercies in the past. The greatest mercy was God sending his son to die on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins, for Tim's sins, for my sins, for your sins. That was the greatest mercy. And, and Tim knew that if God did not spare his own son, he would not go back on the promises that he made that whoever believes in the son shall have eternal life. There was no way that God would back down on those promises. And, and so like David was saying, and Tim found out that, that God was his source of strength, even at what we would consider the darkest hour. And here's the thing, God is our source of strength as well. And so, believing all of that about God, knowing that about God, David said, I love you. And it's a reflection of tender affection toward this God of strength and mercy. And he, he, he's saying it from the viewpoint of something else he said in another psalm, taste and see that the Lord is good. He had tasted and he had seen that the Lord his God was very good. He knew God's mercies. He knew God's strength. He knew God was good. 
And so David found all of his satisfaction from God. This word for love, this affection. I, I am finding all my satisfaction in God. I cannot find this strength or anything else from any other source. And we know it as the song said, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Not that David hadn't tried. You know, we, we think of his son Solomon in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he tried all these earthly things. and David did too. So David and Solomon both can testify when they looked to the world for their satisfaction, when they looked to the world for some sort of way to ease the pain and, and anxieties of life. They ended up finding out that all this junk from the world is void, it's vanity, it's empty, it's vain. Absolutely vain. This world has nothing to offer you. But satisfying your soul in God through Jesus Christ is peace and hope, and strength, and comfort. So part of trusting God is finding your satisfaction in Him. For the graduates, you know, out there, out in the world, on your own, there are so many temptations to ease the ache and pains of this world in various ways that would not please God. But David is calling you to remember all the good that God had done for you in the past and find your satisfaction and comfort in him, in his goodness for the present and the future. David wanted for himself. David wanted for you. David wanted for me to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I have this, these running jokes it's kind of my shtick about, you know, loving bacon and loving cheesecake and, and things like that. I, I love food, obvious, obviously, but, you know, I, I always talk about, that's my gag, okay? You know, I talk about bacon and, and cheesecake. So, so at, at my previous church, I, I had made some comment about bacon, and then I had made some comment about cheesecake, and then, you know, I, I kind of mused hey, wouldn't it be great if you would be able to fuse bacon and cheesecake together? I was just joking around. But then, like, a week or so later, somebody in the church brought me a bacon cheesecake. And now, y'all are out there thinking, that sounds like the mo most disgusting thing that I've ever heard of in my life. Well, let me tell you. I took one bite of that bacon cheesecake. And I kid you not, the heavens opened. <laughs> the angels sang. Y'all, I think I found what the manna was that God put out there for the Israelites. I tasted and seen that bacon cheesecake is good. But let me tell you something else. I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. He is a God worthy of our affection because of his faithfulness toward us and the strength that he gives us. And he alone will satisfy our souls, even in the midst of our darkest hours. 
So I call the graduates and I call everyone to find their satisfaction and strength in him alone because there is absolutely nothing in this world that will be able to offer you anything better. In fact, the world really has nothing to offer you at all. So satisfy yourself in God. But secondly today, part of this, I want you to secure yourself under God. Secure yourself under God. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 18. The Lord is my high ridge. He's my stronghold, my deliverer. My God is my rocky summit where I take shelter, my shield, the horn that saves me, and my refuge. And so here in this verse, you know, declaring his love and then saying he is my strength, then he starts piling on picture after picture about God being the place of his, his safety and his security. You know, David is confessing that when he runs into trouble, or, you know, trouble finds him in, in life, his first place to go is into the loving, protective arms of his heavenly Father. What this, what this verse reminded me about, or what it made me think about, was this video I had seen uh, on social media. And it was this video of this baby elephant, and, and this baby elephant is just kind of bouncing around, playing, he's trying to play with some of these other animals and things like that. There's all sorts of cuteness going on. Well then, you know, as, as well, kids do, but we all do, you know, he's bouncing around and doing his thing, and then all of a sudden he kind of trips and he falls and he kind of rolls, you know, after falling, you know, he get, got a little bit clumsy, and, you know, we all do that, and he tripped and fell and tumbled. After the little guy picked himself up, the first thing that he did was he immediately ran to mama and hid underneath her, you know, kind of between her legs for safety and security, and that's kind of what David is conveying in, the, in this verse here. When, when life happens and you trip and you fall and there's all this stuff, you run to the Heavenly Father, you find your security and safety in Him. And, and this is important because we often try and find our safety and security in a whole bunch of other stuff. We actually try to find our safety and security in anything and everything but God. You know, I'm going to rely on my own wisdom. I'm going to rely on my friends. I'm going to rely on this in the world. I'm going to rely on that in the world. And, and God kind of becomes our last resort as opposed to our first resort. We see this played out in the history of the nation of Israel after David. Because when, when the nation would be threatened by some sort of foreign entity, instead of running to God for help, they would run everywhere else. They'd run to Syria. Hey, Syria, help us. They'd run to Egypt. Hey, Egypt, help us. And they, uh, um, they, they, didn't, they, they wanted to just go anywhere other than trying to, to trust God that, you know what, God is going to save me from this foreign entity that's coming my way. And so the God sent the prophets, and the prophets you know, the, he used the prophets to rebuke them. Why are you running to these foreign powers? I'm right here. And, and he can ask us the same thing. Why are you running here and why are you running there? When I'm right here. You know, the, he, God rebuked their hardness of heart. God rebuked their lack of faith. Because in essence, they were saying, well, God's not trustworthy enough. I can't trust God to be able to help me in in this trouble. And so often we do the same things. And so if we're not running to God during our times of trouble, we're relying on 
anything and everything else. And all those things will fail. And so David says, God is my strength and security, and I'm going to run to him. And then, you know, he, he, he lists all these characteristics or he uses all these pictures about why. And David invites the reader to experience God in these ways as well. Again, you know, David's not saying that um, bad things will never happen in my life. As long as I stay close to God, bad things will never happen in my life. They will. But David is saying that when bad things happen in your life, if you are in Christ, if you are in God, if you are close to God, you will not ultimately be destroyed. Your life, your soul, is secure in his hands. In Christ, you will have the victory. If not here on this earth, you most certainly will at the end of your life, if you're in Christ. And, and so David pictures this security in, in several different ways. He just uses such pic picturesque language here. First, David says that, that the Lord is my high ridge. The Lord is my high ridge, and some other translations will say that, that uh, the Lord is my rock. It, it speaks of a, a, really, it speaks of a craggy, like a cliff. And, and so if you picture there's these mountains, but there's this valley in the mountain, you know, between the mountains, and the enemy is down here in the valley, but you are way up here, on this cliff. It's a place of stability. It's a place of security. It's a place of safety. And David knew all about this because that's actually literally where he would be hiding sometimes from Saul and, and the others. But David ultimately knew that it wasn't the mountain that was his place of safety and security. It was God. It was the God who was protecting him while he was on the mountain. But this is my God. He is my, he is my high cliff. He is my high ridge. He's my place of stability and security. And then next, David calls him his stronghold. Some uh, translations will say fortress. Other translations will say high tower. It, it's speaking about a mountain fortress, you know, built, built in the mountain or on top of the mountain. It, it's a place of security from enemies. Uh, King Herod actually had a place like this. He called it Masada, which is actually the Hebrew word that's used here. And Masada withstood enemy after enemy up until... Well, the Romans came and, and finally destroyed the Jewish rebels there. But, you know, th this idea of a, of a stronghold, it, it's a picture of a place you can run to in times of adversity, in times of trial, whether, you know, whether it's the, the world that's wearing you down, whether, you know, it's the devil seeking to, you know, devour you like a roaring lion or whatever. But unlike Masada, God is the perfect place of peace and safety. So whatever happens on earth in light of eternity, nothing can change your status with God if you're in Jesus Christ. You're secure. Next, David calls God his deliverer. The word means a way of escape. You know, if you ever watch movies or, or you know, television or whatever, and sometimes the heroes are running from a monster or an enemy or something, and then, you know, they hit what looks like a dead end. Oh, no, what are they going to do? Well, then all of a sudden some miraculous secret high, you know, secret stairway or something appears, whatever, secret passage, you know, and they make their getaway. It's a way of escape. Well, David's saying that God makes a way of, of escape from the trials on this earth. Now, the way of escape might be calling you home. Or the way of escape might be, you know what, years down the road. 
I'm going to do this for you. But ultimately, you will be delivered from your enemies if you're in Christ. And then David calls God his rocky summit where he's able to take uh, shelter. Now this is, I know a lot of translations will again use the word rock, but it's a different word from before. Um, it's actually talking about a large boulder. It's describing a place to hide during times of distress. And what it made me think about was, okay, when you're ever watching movies and TV and there's going to be some big explosion, so the people run behind a big boulder to kind of, uh, you know, escape the blast, uh, find some safety from the big explosion, or, you know, maybe they might run behind something else. But, you know, it, it, it's to provide protection from the explosion, and in, in a way, David is saying that's God. He is that place where that we would hide behind. And then David says, my God is my shield. You know, that's an obvious metaphor in close combat. The shield deflected the blows of the enemy. We're called to take up the shield of faith because our enemy is shooting flaming arrows at us all the time, but God is our shield. And the enemy's weapons will not do everlasting harm if we are in Christ. And then David says that God is the horn that saves, or the horn of salvation. It's picturing the horns of an animal. I mean, think of a bull. Have you ever seen a bullfight? I mean, what does the bull do? He charges with the horns. That's his weapon. It's a picture of strength. And, you know, it pictures for us that God not only is on the defensive trying to protect us, God is also on the offensive for our good and protection. And then finally, David calls God his refuge or some translate uh, stronghold. It's a place that's set up on high. You know, it's a place that's less vulnerable to attacks of the enemies. Cities like Jerusalem, they were built on top of mountains. They were high up. Whereas, you know, man's ways of protection are flawed. God's never are flawed. God's are perfect and eternal. And so David uses all these words and pictures to show that God is our place of security. And so instead of running away from him, run to him. Rather than trying to protect yourself, which you can't, run to the God who will protect you. Because this is, this is important. When life gets hard, when things become overwhelming, when you start to get stressed as problems stack up one on top of another, don't look to your own wisdom, don't look to your own way of escape, don't look at delivering yourself. Don't try and find security and safety within yourself. Run to the father. Just like that baby elephant in that video ran to the mother after, it, after he was hurt. Run to the father because that is where you find your ultimate security. And then thirdly today, the third part of of you know, setting up our life so that we do trust our faithful God is just surrender yourself to God. Give yourself over to God. Surrender yourself to God. Look at verse 3. He says, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I was delivered from my enemies. So now having recalled all of God's goodness and all of God's faithfulness, David surrenders himself to a spirit of praise and thanksgiving it's, as if, it's, it's like after careful consideration of what God has done and what God will do, all, all he says is, you know, we think of worship, I, I give myself over to you. I surrender. I mean, in a sense, that's what worship is. I am, 
I am surrendering myself to the God who is worthy, the God of safety. He alone is worthy. And I surrender to him. That's where we have to turn our face because let's face it, so often we can be self-centered. We want what we want, when we want it, and lots of it, and when we don't get it, we're going to complain about it, and when things don't go the way we think they should, we're going to complain about it. But you know what? Dave figured out, wait a minute, this life isn't about me. Life is all about him. He knows better than me what I need in my life. He is a God I can trust. He is a God I can surrender everything to, my all in all. Or as John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. Because it's about him. You know, graduates, the life choices you make and the life path that you make and and the journey you're on, it is not your life path. It is not your journey at all. It is his. And when you recognize that, and then when you recognize and remember everything that God has done for you up to that point, I mean, it's easier to surrender to him. You know what? God was faithful in so many ways back here, back when. May the Lord be praised. He has done me so much good. And so I give him my life. I give him my career. I give him my family. I I surrender everything to him and I worship him. And I recognize my life is his. He bought me, right? That's what Paul says in, in Corinthians. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body, honor God with your life, honor God with your choices, and worship his holy name. Give yourself over to his service and his glory. You're you're never going to go wrong in just surrendering everything to him. And if you try and fight that, you do run into problems. You know, take it from an old man who sometimes learns things the hard way. It's a whole lot easier when you are young and you surrender yourself to God than than to change, but you can change. You know, that's what's good to know for the rest of us if if you're like me. It's never too late. It is never too late to surrender your life and everything in your life over to God. You know, you might say, my faith and trust has been shaky in the past. But you know what? God never changes. His faithfulness never changes. I can follow, I can surrender everything to him right now. I can make it all about Christ right now because that's what life is about. Just because I've been stubborn in the past doesn't mean, you know, I can't make, okay, I'm going to make life about Christ right now. Just because I've been selfish and self-centered and self-focused in the past doesn't mean that that has to be the path for the rest of my journey. No, I make the choice. I surrender everything to him right now. You can teach an old dog new tricks. He sure did with me. Andrew Murray put it beautifully when he wrote this. He said, when a soldier bows to his general or a scholar to his teacher, he is yielding his will, his life. He gives himself to the rule and mastery and the power of another. And Christ did that. He said he came not to do his own will, but to do the Father's will. In Gethsemane, he said, take this cup for me, yet not what I will, but you will. 
On the cross, he suffered what, he had, what had already been settled in Gethsemane. He yielded his life to God and thereby taught us that the only thing worth living for is a life yielded to God even unto death. If you are controlling your life and spending it on yourself even partly, you are abusing it and taking it away from God's original purpose. Learn from Christ that the beauty and purpose of having life is so that you can surrender it to God and then allow him to fill it with his glory. All these kids going off to school, whatever. What's the meaning of life? Christ. Only Jesus. Anything less, you're robbing yourself. You are actually robbing yourself. That's the funny thing. All these people living for self, making selfish choices, thinking that they are somehow holding on to life, or this is what living is all about. You are robbing yourself. There's a reason Jesus said whoever would hold on to his life would lose it, but whoever surrenders his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will find it when you surrender to him. I'll close with this thought. Because, you know, I'm reading, reading this psalm, the, the, the first part especially, you know, I, I found it fascinating that, that David used all these pictures and metaphors about the heights of the mountains, everything on high. That was the place of safety. You know, I, I, I'm like, yeah, I don't like heights very much. You know, I'd rather be down here. But it's in the heights. It, he, he kept using in the heights because it's in the heights when you're in least control and you have to trust God. The, the theologian Henry Nouwen, he, he found, you know, he was thinking about the heights and he, he was pondering on trapeze artists because when you're a trapeze artist and you let go of that rail and you're, you know, waiting for someone to grab onto you, now that's trust. Not just letting you fall, Right? And so uh, toward the end of his life, he actually took a sabbatical to give some serious effort into learning about trapeze artists, to learn about trust. And, and he knew that, you know, like all of us, we all struggle with control. He wanted to learn about losing control to trust another. Because again, I mean, you're hanging midair, nothing, nothing below you, nothing around, you know, you're trusting someone's going to grab onto you, right? So that's definitely trust in, in the faithfulness of another. And he wanted, he wanted to get a deeper insight into that. And, and so his key insight was that in order to be caught safely, the people being caught must be completely still. They must surrender control, placing total trust in the catcher's ability. And as he actually did it. I mean, he, he went through with it. And as he was hanging in the air, dependent on another, his faith, faith was nourished through this release of control. I have to release control and trust another. And if you look back in your life, you have to admit, in so many different ways, God has more than proven himself trustworthy. I mean, you just read scripture, you know that God has proven himself trustworthy. And so graduates and everybody else, learn this lesson. You're not in control of your life, but God is. He has shown himself faithful in the past. You can trust him with your present and your future. 
So follow the one who's faithful. Christian, follow your faithful God. He has shown himself to be faithful and trustworthy. And if you have never trusted in his son for salvation, what are you going to do? Trust yourself to get you to heaven? Not going to work. You have sin in your life. You're automatically disqualified. God is just. He has to punish sin. Your eternity cannot be entrusted to anyone else. Like the song said, only Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Follow this faithful God who died for you and rose for you so that you can have life. There's nothing else and no one else you can trust. Stop, stop trying to be in control. I mean, I understand. I'm a control freak too. But when it comes to true life, and especially when it comes to salvation, you cannot be a control freak because that leads ultimately to your eternal death. And so trust the God who so loved you that he gave his son. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.